Welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and DRC problems. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 317. So before we start, um, MacFab is now a member of the ERAI. The ERAI is a global information service organization that monitors, investigates, and reports issues affecting the global electronic supply chain. In a nutshell, becoming a member of the ERAI in the EMS industry is sort of a badge of quality and prestige. So uh, we're going to have Cody Edlick on the podcast next week to discuss this and the ongoing supply chain electronics problem we've been having for like since 2018. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited because, frankly, I, I honestly, I didn't know much about this uh, agency. Um, and so I'm really curious to uh, kind of sink my teeth into it as well. Yeah, the um, before the whole supply chain stuff, um, they were kind of like the supreme authority on like quality and counterfeit mitigation uh, products and services for the CM world. Um, so the, I... I'll put it this way. Uh, so Cody is a uh, supply chain strategic sourcing person here at Macrofab. And I didn't even know ERAI existed until he said we were a member of it last week. <laughs> so <laughs> I, 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 like, hey, I want to be on the one comment right. about it is I think they they might they could stand to uh, modify their name to make it easier to pronounce or say like ERI or something like Maybe there is some like easier way of, of saying it, but E-R-A-I is like, that's actually kind of difficult to say, you know? Especially for me, because I, like, I was like pausing, making sure I was pronouncing <laughs> each of those four individual letters correctly. Yeah. Because I'm terrible at pronouncing things. Too bad or, it's not easy, I, like, speaking. you know, I-triple-E or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or uh, ISO or something like that. Yep, yep, exactly. Um. So yeah, it's going to be interesting next week because I have no idea what that... I Basically, I, Cody said that we were a member, and I'm like, you want me on the podcast? And he's like, sure. <laughs> and I'm like, Yay. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but yeah, let's do it. <laughs> no, it sounds it sounds great. Uh, I'm, I'm really... What I'm curious about is how do they enforce... Uh, what they're what they're going for here? Yeah, uh, so... Yeah, it, that's, that's what I want to know is what does this really mean besides... You know, we're like you go to a CM's website and they have like we're so like all those little like icons at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, that says like the warm and fuzzy icons. Yeah, warm and fuzzy icons. So we're like this website's Adobe Nine compliant. Ooh, <laughs> you haven't seen that in a long time, though. No, no. Um, I always wanted at MacFab when we had like a feature we weren't done yet, but it was like out. I really wanted to do like those old like late aughts early 90s like or late 90s uh construction gifts uh, <laughs> we're like this site is under construction yeah 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 that got shut down fast though yeah uh, you know uh, i was i was just uh joking around the other day with a buddy of mine because uh, we're building a website together and uh to make things easier uh we, we started by actually making a site map and do you remember back in the day when site maps were like a thing that you could go to and yeah. it was like a tree that you could like, it yeah, was so an you, actual it, it was map you could see. It was like the index of the website. Right, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, whatever happened to those? I mean, uh, like, obviously, they're just not really necessary, but... Uh, a lot of websites still have them. They just don't... It used to be, like, the way to go find something on a website. Right, right, yeah. But now everyone, basically, Google... You can, like, integrate Google into your website and so that you can easily search your website faster that way. Yeah. People like to do that instead of searching, like, an index. Yeah, you can burrow right to the information you're looking for. It's like It's like a like a modern PDF, like you have a table of contents mm. and you might even have an index, but people just go control F and then type in what they're looking <laughs> for and then hit enter a bunch until they get to it. <laughs> enter a bunch. Yeah. And whenever you do control F and it shows zero, it's like, oh no. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I got the wrong PDF. <laughs> or it's not text searchable. Yeah. Actually, uh, <laughs> may maybe a hint for something we'll talk about later here. Uh, but if, if you are providing a schematic for people, make sure that you're, the schematic you're providing is not just an image of your schematic. Make sure that it's something that you can search. search. And you can pull up like RefDes or you can pull up your um, like part numbers and things like that. Uh, I've, I've got a story about that. Let's go right into it then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm skipping to topic three out of three today sure okay yeah well well yeah why not because this i was going to do this as part of another one but you know what it's somewhat separate uh, so okay i'm actually repairing a, a a synthesizer for for a gentleman uh it's a moog voyager it's, it's actually called the moog voyager old school and uh, it has some some issues on the inside that uh, are preventing one of its features from working fully it partially works as in one mode, it does something, and then another mode, um, it should do the same-ish kind of thing, and then it just flat out doesn't do that. Uh, hmm. So I've actually tracked it down to being a CD4053, which is an analog multiplexer. And, and it's kind of funny because in this story, there's like layers of things not working well. Uh, sometimes you get those repairs where like, you can go find the schematic easy and then you can search the schematic and then you easily find the part that's wrong and then you fix the part. This is one of those ones where it's like, okay, cool. Search for a while. Do I have the right schematic? I'm not sure. It's it's odd. Can I search the schematic? No. Is the schematic easy to read? Absolutely not. And so like everything has been against me in this <laughs> Everything situation. is like you clawing <laughs> up the mountain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah, every single thing, like every problem that I'm trying to solve creates a new problem that I have to solve uh, kind of situation. And and okay, so let's start with this the schematic for this synth. It's 50 pages long, which I actually don't mind long schematics. They're fine. But this one is brutal in terms of they it was it was drawn i think in in 2000 which isn't terribly long ago but it was still back when schematics were drawn such that they tried to fit everything within a page size such that it could be printed right um but but given today like i'm on a tablet or i'm on my pc or i'm even on my phone uh so i don't care if your schematic is 3000 pages long because I have it in a digital copy now. I want your schematic to be incredibly readable. That's number one for me. Make it such that it's so easy to read. But these these schematics where they're trying to shove everything page. into page sizes, they start looping around and they start referencing each other, different pages and things. And it just, it's a nightmare. I hate that. But I get it. That's how it used to be. And like efficiency with paper matters. Uh, still does today. So whatever. But uh, so... I find out that this analog multiplexer is is crap in the bed. Basically, I'm 
I'm sending it uh, like I can I can flip a switch on the front panel and I can see that the control port is receiving a zero or a five volt signal and therefore so the it's it's receiving the signal to switch and it's not it's it's doing that just correctly. not switching and on one side of the switch it has a it goes to the non-inverting terminal of an op amp that doesn't have uh, a ground reference and this analog switch is not switching so that that pin there is at like giga ohms of impedance so it's just causing the op amp that's post this switch to freak out because like i don't know whenever some alien in a distant planet craps uh and like radiation comes around like it shows up as a voltage on this pin and makes the op amp freak out right because we're at giga ohms <laughs> worth of uh <laughs> we're, at, we're at giga ohms when the alien craps does a butterfly flap its wings yeah Hundred percent. You see, you get it. Uh, so, so this switch. Here's the thing that's funny though, because like I, I'm seeing what's wrong with this, and I got super lucky on this because almost all of these chips are PDIP packages, and they're all soldered oh, to the easy board. Switch. Oh, they're soldered. They're not. They're, they're soldered not except except for these analog switches. They're socketed. So what's nice is I wonder if if they go bad. they had problems of <laughs> lifespan. On yeah, these. maybe. Maybe the the nice thing is though, like this board has multiple of these CD four hundred five three, so I just swapped them around and found that the problem followed a chip. So it's like, okay, cool, there we go. That's really simple. Uh, but the funny thing is, just to kind of get my ducks in a row, I was like, okay, I'm gonna pull up the data sheet for the four hundred five three because the uh, uh, the I know what my logic coming in is, but. I don't know which switch is activated for low and which switch is activated for high. So I go to Mauser or whatever, and I find a data sheet for it. And I search through this Texas Instruments CD4053 data sheet. And I swear to God, it doesn't say. And like, that's the baseline function of this chip is that you apply a voltage to a switch pin and it switches which signal flows through the chip, right? Uh, and so it has it has basically a common input, and then it that common input either switches to the X output or the Y output. And in this data sheet, they even have a truth table, and the truth table is wrong, like straight up. And I'm not trying to like, I I sat there for so long trying to figure out like what all I want to know is if my signal's low. Which is it going to X or is it going to Y? I don't know the answer to it. And in in this truth table, it it literally said low. It says it says uh something like uh Y or X. And then if it was high, it said Y or X. Like it it the the the, the information was actually incorrect in the in the truth table. And it kind of brings up a point where it's like if you're writing a data sheet for something that is simplistic like a switch i think that's like the very first thing you should have checked <laughs> is like can you read the data sheet and actually see how this thing works i actually ended up having to go to a different website where somebody had just explained the function of the chip and i knew that like this my signal was either being steered to the x output or the y output you know that's all it can do i just needed the actual truth table in there and it looks like texas instruments has updated this data sheet and uh in 2017 or something like that and they corrected the uh the truth table in it but like that seems really fundamental at the same so, time like 
was it the old data sheet you were looking at? Because I'm looking at the one on TI's website. And that one's correct. Probably, that one's correct. Yeah. Was your old one like one of those like like from the dusty tomes of a Xerox machine? <laughs> the grimoire of, of 4000 series IC chips. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it wasn't one of those ones that's been photocopied 10 trillion times. Uh, it, it is, uh, but I think it was the one from 1998. I don't know. Like I, you know, it's funny. I actually tried to find it again and I, I couldn't find it before this, this podcast. So maybe I just like hit that one really unlucky link the very first time I was looking for it. Uh, but, but regardless, I think, uh, one of the, one of the things about that data sheet that was a bit annoying is I'm, you know, I'm not going to design with it. So I'm going into, looking at this data sheet or looking at this circuit that I'm, I'm working with, with the assumption that it does actually work. Like the design is functional. So my goal with going to this data sheet was to find all I need to find is the truth table. So I can see where my signals are being steered and the truth table for an IC multiplexer switch was like way, way, way down, way past like theory of operation, way past all of the other. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm looking it's on page. It's like near the end. It's like right before the, the package. Yeah. It's so, not that like, far down, but I would say I would like like, yeah, it's past like it's like way down there. So like the first thing you should see because you always get the first page, which is like the, the marketing link, the marketing page. But you also you do look at that when you're selecting a chip. Like, yeah. does this have the features I'm looking for? And then usually the second page is like table of contents, maybe, maybe a reversion history, which typical TI ones. And then like the next page is pin, pin out. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like that. And then it's got, I think the problem is, is they have so many charts in here that most designers don't really care about. And like, they have so many different ways of like test. I guess since this is an analog chip. They have to test a lot more like, parasitics of the chip itself you, you have to know its function across like a range you know so yeah. so the charts help in that in that case but the next thing you should see is like how does this freaking work <laughs> yeah, exactly like thank you like i i, I was driving myself nuts last night re- <laughs> looking at this all i want to do is see how your damn thing works and like you buried yeah. that like way down there <laughs> yeah that should that should be way up at the top i mean i honestly the truth table is not that big it could be on the second page yeah i would say i would expect that to be like after the pin out yeah and then to be like a truth table and then like all this stuff about like um well it, it could be after electrical well the problem is electrical characteristics of this chip is three pages long it's ginormous yeah so it, that actually just might be the problem is usually that would be in like the top eight pages, <laughs> but there's so much other stuff going on with this chip yeah. that just gets shoved down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like they have like three pages in here of of like we hooked the chip. It's like one of those we hooked the chip up this way and this is how it performed. Then we hooked it up this way and this is how oh, we yeah. In order way. to get the data for this chart, here is how our test was set up kind of thing. Yeah. And it's pages of that pages of that <laughs> i think that's because when you look at digital switches they i th- i think it's the application because it's an analog it's built as an analog switch yeah. so you would you do need to know those par- parasitics really they need to be characterized really well right whereas a digital 
depending on the frequency maybe maybe not depend if you get really high frequencies yeah you have to care yeah but most of the time it's like well as long as it's not terrible it's gonna work yeah 100 <laughs> percent. so yeah i mean uh, luckily i was able to kind of dig through it and, and figure it out and it 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 ends up being generally obvious but the the, the worst part about electronics and engineering is uh, obvious is not good enough. You have to know the answer. Yeah, uh, you have to know the answer. And and like if I go to your your data sheet and you you make a bunch of assumptions on like, well, this is an old IC. You probably know how it works. No, I don't. Like I want to, I want your data sheet to be very clear on how it works, um, especially when I'm doing a repair job because repair job I'm not trying to design with your thing. I don't care about all the characteristics. I want to go in there. I want to see how it works so I can see if it's working properly in the circuit. Now so. look at this page. Uh, what is page is this? 21 of data sheets. This is interesting. I do not I'm, have I'm to put this on the stream. What's up with it? Um, I got to flip the right button on my stream thingy. Layout guidelines. Oh, yeah, Different, yeah, yeah. And, but it's like, it's one page, layout guidelines, and it is it is use curve traces instead of chamfered or corner. Mm -hmm. But it also has like, like at the apex of the turn, the trace width is increased to 1.414 times its width. Which is, yeah, that's a corner. Like a, a, right. a bend. It's a, a, it's a, it's a triangle. It's like, it's, no, a one point four one four is like if it's you take a trace and you bend it at like a a rounded corner, it like widens out, right? Yeah, that's that's um, that's the argument with curved traces is their their constant width. Yeah, uh, throughout the turn. This okay, yeah. so I've seen this oh, on yeah. many at the apex stages. turn. The trace width is increased to one point four one four times its width. This upsets the transmission line characteristics. Essentially, the distributed capacitance and self inductance of the trace, resulting in the reflection. Ah, oh, that's the argument against a ninety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. the, like the ninety is the worst. I'm using air quotes. Uh, air quotes. Uh, and curved are supposedly the best. Or, mm. I, I don't know. The arguably, maybe. Well, whoever wrote this probably back in August 1998 um, was into it. Right? Was into rounded corners. Yeah. Because that's actually the first time I've ever seen that in a data sheet. I've seen those in, in Texas uh, Instruments data sheets. They put them in a handful of them. But it's it's but that's generic layout guidelines. Not even layout guidelines for this IC. It's just yeah, like but that's the only deep. layout guideline is like <laughs> is like use rounded corners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just like random life tips at the end of yeah, a day. Random life <laughs> tips. Random life tips. Yeah. Um oh, yeah, and, and okay, so don't, back back don't on the defrost your meat in the in the with warm water. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually quite dangerous. Um, so on that on that schematic, uh, so I said that that schematic is fifty pages long, and and that's true. But there's one aspect about it that I don't know why it's in here, but fifteen of the pages, something like that, fifteen, sixteen of the pages. I'm talking the actually, synthesizer now, right? Yeah, yeah. Back to that synthesizer. Fifteen of those pages are actually duplicated. Uh, so. But the problem is they don't say why they're duplicated. It's not like these 15 were Rev A and these 15 were Rev B. You just, 
scroll through this PDF file, you you hit those 15 pages, you find some other ones, and then it repeats those 15 pages. And because they're all images, I can't search them. So I can't like compare the two. So I don't know if anything's No, you different. don't know if they're the same or not. Don't, yeah, don't even know. Or it's like a Rev 2. Yeah, I think, I think this is a really fantastic case of what not to do on how to supply schematics yeah. to people. So I, I've opened up one schematic before that is a really big one. And everything looked fine until I got like to the bottom like four or five pages, and it was just all the bypass caps. <laughs> Gross. And I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah. Uh, so, so for everyone out there, at least this is what I like to see in schematics is components that get grouped together on the board stay together on the schematic as well, generally. So when you draw like your part your active component or your microcontroller and you need like six bike pass caps and like the crystal, like everything the microcontroller needs to live should be on the same page. I, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I do it that way myself too. Just cause I'm, I'm op amps all over the place and every op amp mm. I've got two bypass caps for it. So on a, on a single page, I will put all the power sections of my op amps yeah, in and one the section of it. And, and perhaps this is anal, but whenever I lay one uh, lay out a board, if I if I have an op amp say U twenty and it has C fifteen and C sixteen as its bypass caps, you better believe on my board C fifteen and C sixteen are on U twenty, not on a different op amp. Yeah, yeah. So I don't. I'm still. I don't really like doing. Um, I mean, I guess I don't design really crazy. Like you design way more complicated boards than I do. Um, yeah, you, uh, you actually draw the bypass caps. Like, you don't do multi-part components, right? Yeah, I don't typically do multi-part components. But what I'm talking is, like, you usually use multiple sheets and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm still, like, one big sheet. Okay. I do separate everything out into, like, I will draw a box around a section that's like, this is the power uh, filtering. And this is, like, my, for example, for my uh, pinball controllers, like, this is the section that deals with the uh, solenoid drivers, but it's still one page, mainly for like just searching yeah. is faster. Sure. Like bigger monitors are easier to use than like a smaller monitor. And just having everything right there is easier, at least for me. Um, I do know that's, it makes printing it terrible because you can't <laughs> actually print the schematic out because it's so big. Yeah. So you can't do that, which is the, the downside, but I don't print anything out, so it's fine. Um, I do. I think that's my next step in my uh, EDA tool evolution. I guess um, is to start using multiple sheets because it was it was only until like Steven said it was a good idea to like use symbols for ground and voltage planes <laughs> or and rails because before I would label them and they would just be labeled, but they wouldn't actually have like a symbol for it, like the little triangles. Or like the little bar with the flat thingy on it. I just never did that. And I'm like, it's labeled ground. Why wouldn't you? It, it's labeled ground. It seems like I hate that. So <laughs> I, I actually changed that because of Steven. <laughs> I appreciate it. So, And you know I what's funny? I, I, I do some of my stuff your way now too. Where like sometimes it makes sense to just see the, the, the word ground uh, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. It depends. Yeah. It, I do label it ground still, but I have a ground symbol for it now. Mm. Um, 
And uh, yeah. Hmm. It's, it's, it's weird. What, one other thing. I, I, did, I definitely need to use multiple sheets, though. It, you know, okay. So, like, I tend to put guaranteed, like, power stuff is on its own sheet. I'll I'll certainly do power on its own sheet, but I but I might do a lot of things on one really big sheet, and then sub circuits on different sheets. Um, I I used to be a lot more anal about very specific sheets with one purpose each kind of thing, uh, but now I've relaxed a little bit on that. However, like I said, power guaranteed is on its own sheet, and that just makes it mm -hmm. cleaner. When somebody is like, "Oh, what are my rails for this?" whole circuit go to my power page and they're very clearly defined there and then like if i have reference voltages or if i have something they're like weird led driver voltages or things it's all on my power page and then i use net ports to distribute mm -hmm. those around um but that that brings up one point on that schematic that I've, i was dealing with they have many many ribbon cables that connect uh you know control boards to other boards like digital and analog boards um, and in the way that the way that they draw them in the schematic is they'll just have like the output of an op amp goes to a port that just has a number. It doesn't tell you the function. It doesn't tell you really. Oh, anything. they're labeling like the connector. But no, they don't label the, the the connector. But I found out that there is like a schema on there where like the first like it might be like this op amp goes to a number four nineteen. That would mean the 19th pin, but not of connector four. That just is whatever connector all the fours go to. So it's like, oh. it sort of has some scheme to it, but it's kind of bad. But the, the problem is they like, there will be, there will be ports that like multiple ports that go to a, an op amp mixer. So clearly there's like, okay, these three or four or five things all are getting mixed together, but you have no idea which one is which, and they might have different gains. And so the way to find out is you have to follow it back to the connector, follow that connector to whatever other page, follow that to what it's actually doing just to find out that that's not the thing you cared about. It's like, oh that's, my God, it's and horrible. You, and you got to do that three times. Yeah, you have to do it three <laughs> times and then find out that you were looking at the wrong op amp and then you got to go do it again. Like, oh my gosh, it's so bad. Uh, so so Metacolin in, in Twitch chat says, any anything is one page if your printer is big enough, which just means I need to get a big plotter. Yeah, I was about to say like, yeah, plotter. Yeah, it, it, your printer starts <laughs> to change its own name at that point. <laughs> But I do so my my strategy on that is I generally have I set up my schematics where the left side is inputs and the right side is outputs. Hundred percent. And then that way when you're and then everything's separated out. So like um so like you have power and that kind of stuff, and then kind of like in the middle you might have your microcontroller because it's doing the in-between inputs and outputs. And then all your outputs are like on the control, like all the drivers and that kind of stuff are on the right side of the board. And then even farther on the right is connectors. So like all the connectors go there. Um, so that way, when you're looking at the schematic, you can go, okay, if I'm dealing with an input problem, it's on this side of the schematic. If I'm dealing with output problem, it's on this side. And you can see the flow. It's almost like a pseudo flow chart too, in mm -hmm. that kind of way. Um, again, Breaking stuff out into um, sheets will probably work, but I've never actually had a problem with this before because I never, I never had to print it. If I have to print something out, I just you can't. It's like <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd have to make I, I images have to and like my... chunk them out. 
Oh, that'd be awful. Yeah. So one thing I've been doing with board to board connectors, and for the most part, this works because I'm just mainly dealing with two boards. It gets more complex with more boards. But uh, what I will do is like, I'll define one of the boards to be like front and one to be rear or something like that. Mm -hmm. And on my front board, say like my front board is where all my jacks and my potentiometers and all my control surfaces are. I'll draw all those over on the right side. I'll put all the board to board connectors that are on the front side and they're facing all those components. And then I will mirror those and uh, put the, the the board to board connectors on the rear board right next to it so you see all of my connectors you see which pins connect to which it's just really clean and it's really straightforward you could follow it without having to dig very hard um i i prefer that as opposed to like throwing them on a different page and then you're searching mm -hmm. in between no i want my board to board connectors to be right next to them uh, each other on the schematic if possible um, yeah. I think that just makes life so much easier to read or even not life, but schematics. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We done. Yeah. 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 No, I've, this, I've uh, taken a CD 4053 now. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm done complaining <laughs> about things <laughs> for now. <laughs> I get to complain about things next. Ooh. Um, so today, um, had an Autodesk Eagle DRC problem. Which what do you mean by very, a DRC problem? DRC, the, the Eagle DRC can't catch this problem. Ooh. Um, and technically, I guess it's not really a DRC problem. It's a DFM problem. Which is it's, it's in between DRC and DFM. Well, that, that's that's a good thing to note because those your DRC does not mean that your thing is manufacturable. Yes, that one hundred percent. This is in between. Basically, I was having a, uh, I, I adjusted some footprints on the Pinotaur project to basically I need I wanted to make them wider on some of the sock on the pins um, on the pins. I made the pins wider on some footprints so I could uh, use slightly different manufacturers for the shift registers, the five nine five register seven uh, four HC five nine five registers. We've got lots of them over the board. Um, some manufacturers like to make those T-SOPs wider. Some like to make them skinnier. So I just made the pads really big because it doesn't matter because they're leaded components and you can just make them as long as you want, <laughs> especially on a board that's, you know, five by 11. You um, you have the real estate to do that. I had the real estate to get away with it. So I adjusted it. And of course, um, the, the wider now. And so they bumped into some vias. And so I moved all the vias around. So I thought... Uh, sent the design out. It passes DRC, passes everything uh, good to go. We're building like, uh, I'll say like 1,500 of them right now. And then I'm like, hey, I have another OEM that's interested and I want to order the same ones. Just give me a ballpark lead time, right? Well, this morning I go, hey, there's a weird... There's a there's a DF uh, M slash DF the uh, DRC problem with these boards, and I'm like freaking out. And I'm like uh, freaking out about it, and it ended up not being a big issue though. Um, basically, uh, in Eagle, the so they changed this recently. I don't know when. It's got to be the last couple of years though, where the it used to be vias were always on top of your of your layers, so you would always see vias. 
Oh, like, no, nothing of, would cover them. In other words, visually, yeah, nothing, nothing would be layered on top. But for some reason, the default view now, the top layer of copper covers it. That's weird. It's really weird because it used to not be like that. Um, if you click, I think it might have been the introduction to have a button now that's called single sided view and it only shows like stuff on the top or stuff on the bottom, mm-hmm. um, which makes multi layered designs a lot easier to handle. Um, when you click that button, the vias pop up on top. So something is up with this view. Some bug there feels like. Mm. Um, so what happened was one of these vias is just under the pad and it's like almost the same diameter as the pad. So you just can't see it. It's basically and just DRC, entirely buried in the pad. Yeah, it's entirely buried in the pad. DRC passes because it's the same signal. So same and net. it's yeah. same net. Oh, I say, yeah, same net. So it doesn't care that it's copper over copper. Um, and what's interesting is when you export Gerber's and you let's say you use we use at MacFab, we use a, inter, a tool internally called Fab 3000, which is like a, just a big CAD software um, for analyzing Gerber's. Um, Fab 3000 also doesn't detect this mm. uh, as a potential issue um, because it, what's, what's happening here is basically you have a via and pad situation, which can be okay or can not be okay. It really depends on the situation. And a lot of times this is when a fabricator sees that they want to either have you move the pad, the via out or you want to cap and fill the via with like non-conductive uh, epoxy. So it doesn't, the, the idea is so that when you put paste on it, it doesn't wick paste away from right. your lead. Right. Um, the good thing in this situation, it's only one pad and the, uh, and those pads are so big, it won't matter if it wicks a little bit away. It's not going to care. It's and the, the, the holes are like 10 mil diameter holes too. It's not going to be that much solder that wicks away, but it's interesting that this escaped. I say escaped the Eagle DRC fab three. I've actually been contacted uh, by uh, numerical innovations. Like I have an open ticket with them to add a way to detect this, which is basically if there's a via or a, a drill in paste flag it mm-hmm. as a potential, because that's what's happening is, is basically there's a drill in your paste file. Uh, and then be able to flag it for review. Um, but does any actually EDA tool detect that? Because I was actually looking at Altiums, and I didn't see this op- option in Altium either. Well, it, the, I think what you said earlier um, is exactly the problem with calling this a DRC issue. Sometimes That's it's acceptable. DFM. Sometimes you want it. Exactly. Like if you're doing like thermal pads and you're trying to plunge down to the other side of the board, sometimes data sheets even say put vias. Yeah, in vias there. Yeah. Yeah. But you're doing that for a slightly different reason, like for outgassing and that kind of stuff. Right. But, but, yes, but how does doing the EDA it. tool know the difference yes. between those? Um, I mean, you could flag it as most... You, you, in that case, you should have V and pads are not okay unless you specifically say that this V is okay. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think that that would be, I would be totally fine with that workflow in my EDA tool. So just before we jumped on here, I actually just threw together a quick board in DipTrace to test if DipTrace would detect this. And it technically does, but like it's sort of tangential. It's so 
Diptrace has two versions of the DRC. I mean, it's it's one version, but it has two different sections of it. One section is just your overall DRC, and then one other section is called net-to-net DRC. So you can have it where you're running two traces that are the same net, and you can apply DRC rules to them in case you want to space them by a very specific amount and things like that. Okay. Uh, and it has one checkbox in there that you can you can or one like uh, user entry field where you can uh, control what's called smd or or yeah smd to via distance and it will check all of your vias to any smd of the same net of the same net yep and and uh that will throw an error but yeah that's that's checking for v and pad it it, so. it does do that but you have to define it and you have to turn that on uh, it's yeah. like regular DRC. We wouldn't give a crap about it. Well, the thing is, at least you have a option to put that in. Yeah. Whereas, mm -hmm. I mean, because this thing with DRC and checks like this, it's a computer. It's going to do what you tell it to do. Right. The problem with, let's say, Eagle in this case, you can't tell Eagle to check this. Right. Right. You you don't have an option. You see, oh, and what I would do in DipTrace is I would turn that on. And I would check my entire board, including pads that I intentionally did, pad, uh, uh, you know, via in pad. I'd fix all the problems, and then I would turn that section of the DRC off and run DRC again, and then it wouldn't find any errors. So, like, I have layers of DRC that you can go further, you know, with. So there's a lot of situations that I actually use that situation um or that I use that mm -hmm. that mode in in the DRC because, like I said, a lot of times I run same net traces right next to each other, but I want there to be a space in between it. Like, yeah, you know, we were talking about it last week with like star grounding, and I do things similar yeah. to that with power traces, where um, you know I want a minimum amount of distance between them because my my PCB manufacturer, you know, if I put one thou in between two traces and they're the same net, my most DRCs aren't going to care about that, but your PCB manufacturer is going to barf on it. It's going to care about it. Yeah, they're going to care about it. So this helps with those kinds of issues. Um. So what do we? So and DipTrace has actually an option for this. I haven't looked in. I've only looked at the passing glass in Altium, and it didn't seem like Altium had this feature. Hmm. Um, Eagle doesn't. I got to look at KeyCAD. Yeah, but. What I have this question is what do we do about this? Um, what I'm doing with this is I'm just gonna let I just was like let it ride. Like those pads are big, we're using a seven mil stencil, it's only a 10 mil hole, so it's not gonna in the in the backside is like is or is tented, it's not gonna like flow a ton of solder through it, it's gonna be fine. It's a J lead component, so we can inspect it with yeah, AOI. You're gonna be fine, not a big deal. I mean, Got you lucky, should basically. you should probably fix it in a future rev, but you'll. Oh, be I already fine. did. Oh, yeah, good. Already yeah. done. <laughs> yeah. You know, here's <laughs> the thing: me. if if you try to do like a Gerber check on this, uh, your you, a DRC <laughs> on Gerbers is going to have a hell of a hard time finding this because the way yes. the way it looks like in Gerbers is. Uh, pad versus trace versus plane versus whatever they all show up as just the same thing effectively in Gerber. as as uh Cop. polygon as a polygon yeah. right so so yeah. you, it uh, so a gerber search doesn't 
distinguish trace versus pad. So it, so you could you could look at your drill file and see where your drills are hitting, but it doesn't it wouldn't be able to know distinguish between elements. Yeah. So um, my suggestion to numerical innovations who's who uh, builds FAT three thousand, which is what we use as an internal tool. My suggestion was, hey. If a have it as a checkbox where you can check if a drill hits the paste file, right, 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 and, and throw a warning for that. It doesn't have to be an error, just like a warning. Or actually, the great thing about Fat Three K is we can set what levels they are as well. Um, so when our engineers check stuff, um, or our automated tools check stuff, it will, it will only throw like errors, and then there's also warnings stuff that you can just like ex- warnings or stuff that you can just approve. Where errors are like you can't. To prove it, you have to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this would be a warning for sure, like because yeah. it could be intentional or it could not be intentional. Um, and so that they said they were they would implement that, but it's not in place yet. Like this only got caught because of a eyeball looked at it and was like, "That's not right." Yeah, something's so, weird here. Yeah. You know, uh, at the same time, with that kind of a check. I think that would I think that would work, but I but if I'm nitpicking here, you're looking at the drill and where the drill hits the paste, but it would be nice to see like the edge of the annular ring, not be in the paste, um, and and that's that that gets way more difficult. That's EDA fixing. Well, you could just put like a, you would just put a buffer on it. Yeah. Or or I guess if the drill the drill has to be covered by mask uh or the mask layer that's even further than the paste layer. Yeah. That could you be a buffer. Yeah. yeah. Um so what I'm going to do about this is I'm going to write a ULP. That <laughs> detects this. Ah, that's such an eagle thing to do. <laughs> such an eagle thing to say. I'm actually going to look to see if someone else has written this before but if not i actually i know how i would do it is basically you would iterate through all your pads on your board um iterate through all the pads and then iterate through all the drills inside all that and basically make sure that none of them intersect it's actually a very easy check to do well okay but um what if what plus if, a buffer what if a uh, a via is fully within a pad not like partially in a pad uh when you do your ulp you have to like define it's gonna be so yeah so what it's gonna do is i'm gonna basically take a pad and you know the size of the pad and then i'm gonna add my tolerance i want around that yeah yeah and then it's gonna say is there a drill hit inside of in that area got it okay yeah yeah okay so not intersecting the border but like anywhere in no i'm just going and and my tolerance that i'm checking for is gonna be big enough that it won't matter. Basically, if it's inside of it, it's bad. If it's if it's overhanging it, it will be okay. Yeah, is how I'm gonna set up the the, the check for it. Because it's also one a tool that I'm only going to use, hmm. and it's just to prevent this issue. Well, and and there's again. also something nice about it too. You've been using Eagle for what probably over a decade now, right? Yeah, and this is the this first point. time you've run into it. So yeah. We uh we actually ran into an issue twice uh with dip trace, I don't know, a month ago, something like that, where uh we had one project and luckily this has been contained to one project, but um dip trace just changed something on the schematic that 
nobody changed at at our work and uh and it happened twice i think that i think both the changes happened at the same time we just caught both of them at different times yeah. but um it got all the way to we had ordered the boards and i had noticed i just randomly had to look at that schematic i was like this net's just not connected like we've been building this board for years it's a mature product but like a net just poof just gone and uh so we've been keeping an eye really heavily on dip trace just to make sure that like it i think something got corrupted in that one file it's not a yeah, systemic thing but it's also like every time we order that board we're like is this the one that we're gonna build like 200 of and then find out we have to run traces on or green wire them you know from no fault of our own make a net list yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although, what um, Dip Trace allows you to compare any schematic to any schematic, which is nice. So we can we have old versions that we know are good, and we can just do an A B comparison against a, a known good. So we've we've implemented that into our process now. Like any new board we're doing for the foreseeable future, we just check against an old rev, just in case. Just in case. Yeah. yeah. That one's scary though. If your EDA tool is just <laughs> disappearing, nets, yeah, just just poof and traces. <laughs> but like I said, it's only on one board, so I think something got corrupted there. Yeah, and this is just all this was was a different way that they're displaying the data to you now because the data didn't change. It's just how it viewed. And so when you yeah. when I was looking at it, I just missed the fact that the view was underneath the pad. Now that's the thing, man. That's the thing about electrical engineering. May I mean. I, it's the one I know the most, the discipline I know the most, but like we have to manage and maintain thousands of things and any one of them is enough to to, to take down your product, right? Yeah, to derail everything. It's just like, oh my gosh, like you have to juggle so many things and like we put a lot of faith in our EDA tools that it's all we do. coming out well. Yeah. we do. I, I, yeah. The fact that you're trusting it to output Gerbers. Yeah, right, right, yeah. <laughs> Which is why I really like ODB plus plus a lot. Um, that file format. I'm, I'm hoping that Autodesk moves that way too and put that in Eagle. So uh, don't they have an output already available? Is it? I thought they do. I don't know about it. Uh, well, I I thought they did. Maybe I'm perhaps I'm wrong on that. Hmm. I'm. <laughs> I've had someone's wrote like an, an incredibly extensive ULP that does it. Oh yeah, I bet you that exists. It's got to, right? Yeah, but yeah. The uh, I do like that is still my favorite thing with Eagle is like I can, I can write my own tools. Yeah, you can. Um, yeah, you can wrangle it to do whatever you need it to do. Yeah, I, I I do want to try to install my first EDA tool though. Free PCB. Does this still the exist? website went away for a while, but it came back. Someone's ported it so it runs on modern Windows. So, no schematic PCB. editor. You give it a you give it a netlist. Oh, it, I write up a manual netlist and then you you route your board. It has a schematic editor now. Uh, oh, it does. Yeah, it's called the schematic constructor. The constructor. That's, That's so cool. pretty cool. I built a lot of boards on that. <laughs> you know that EDA tool helped me get through college. <laughs> I think Thank I used uh, Mal- oh, Altiboard. Altiboard, which was part oh, of Altiboard. Yeah. Yeah, I used that back in the day. Yeah. But that that 
EDA tool, I designed all my video mods for Atari's on. And, uh, I mean, that helped, that helped pay for my college. That's cool. <laughs> mm. You know, it, I think it, it would be fun to go back and play with one of these less feature-rich programs just to get perspective on what your software does allow for even when like it's not doing what you want it to do or things like you can go back and be like oh man i i actually have this pretty easy yeah could be interesting should we go on to our our python talk or punt it for a second time i think we've actually punted it twice already this would be a third punt which i'm totally fine with doing because i think we could spend a while on it i think there's some good stuff in there but okay so we'll we'll punt the python talk for a third time but next well no next week we have uh cody on in in two weeks we'll start with the python talk yeah we'll start with the python thing yeah because there's there's some fun stuff in there yeah so that was the macfab engineering podcast we are your hosts park doman and steven craig later everyone take it easy Thank you, yes, you, our listeners and our Twitch followers for listening and downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Send us the data sheets that you hate. Check out our Slack channel at MacFab.com slash Slack, and also the live stream, which is twitch.tv slash MacFab.